All right, welcome. You guys can say, thank, glad to be here or something back. I don't know, is that how you? I can tell all your marriages are in serious trouble. Your wife says good morning and that's your response. <laughs> you know, there's, like, there's two language theories. One is called formulaic language theory and one's called generative. Formulaic language theory means that you use language formulas. Once you learn them, you don't have to think anymore. <laughs> yeah, those are the people that are formulaic right there laughing like, hey, that's what I do. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, you just learn language formulas. So like if I walk in a store or something, I talk to the cashier, I'm like, hey, how you doing? That's what I'm supposed to say. The cashier says whatever they say back. It doesn't matter what they say back because I'm just gonna say good or something and leave. That's, and so, like, if you're married a long time, I've been married 34 years, um, and so, like, you can get in a formula that, where you just know what, you know, you just know what each other's going to say, and you're like, you can almost don't need words, right? You just say, hey, yeah, yeah. okay, great. Like, that was the whole conversation, because you just kind of know how it's going to go. Doesn't, it's not a real dynamic relationship when you're doing that to people. And then there's generative language, which is how Jesus talks to people. And in generative language theory, you have to create a new conversation every time you talk. It's a lot of work. Um, and so that means like, when you go in to talk to a person, so if I'm in a store, like I was, I was telling these guys last night, so you'll see, yesterday morning, uh, I got up early to meet with this guy, I'm gonna talk about him in a second. This guy wants to start a CrossFit kind of thing in um, downtown Portland. So I got to meet with him, because he's kind of lost his vision. Go to meet with him, meet with him for an hour, jump in an Uber to go to the airport to fly out here. In the Uber, the Uber driver, um, really nice guy. So I get in the front seat with him. And it's interesting, I almost made this mistake because in, in the Arab world where we've lived for years and years, when you, you always ride in the front seat with the driver. If you get behind the driver, it means you don't like him. So you always get in the front seat with the driver. And if you, Want to, if you want him to know that you really want to talk to him, you touch his leg. Like, yeah, it took a while to get used to this style of talking. And so, um, but you can't use your left hand because that's unclean. So you have to do the reach across and grab his leg like this, boom, like that. And uh, so like when I, I haven't taken Uber in a long time. And so when I jumped in, the guy's like, I get in the front seat. I'm like, oh, and I jump in and I'm like right in this motion right here. And he's looking at me, and I'm like, how's it going? You know, like this. <laughs> I didn't... Yeah. So in generative language, th so generative language theory means this person is an individual, this Uber driver is an individual created by God, and he has something unique about him, and I want to know what it is in the 30 minutes that it takes to go to PDX from downtown Portland. And so I start talking to him. My question to him is, um, you know, Besides the, you know, how you doing? Going, he says, you're going, to, you're going to PDX, yeah. Where are you going? Going to Salt Lake City. <laughs> he goes, do they have good restaurants there? Like, I don't, I don't know if people fly to Salt Lake City to eat. I don't know, maybe. It's known for other stuff, not necessarily restaurants. But um, anyway, so I start asking him about what he, you know, besides, besides Uber, what do you do? And he says, I don't do anything except Uber. 
Like, wow. He says, my goal is to be on vacation as much time as I can. <laughs> like, that's noble, isn't it? That's a noble goal. You know that they say, sociologists and anthropologists say that the two highest goals of people is to be immortal and permanently happy. Immortal and permanently happy. If we could do it, that's what we would do. So this guy wasn't going to be immortal, but he was going to try and be permanently happy. So he was flying to Bangkok as often as he could. He'd save up money and fly to Bangkok. And I said, well, what do you do there? And he said, well, my goal is to open up a, a barbecue pit restaurant in Bangkok. It's like, wow, that's interesting. And I said, is that your identity? Is that your identity? And he said, I don't know, I guess. And I said, running a restaurant's not an identity, it's a vocation. What, what is your identity? What, like, who are you? And he said, I don't know. He said, I never really thought about that. He said, I have, now listen, he says, I have a nephew that's 16 that doesn't have an identity. Isn't that interesting? Like, he can see it in another person. He doesn't have an identity. All he does is sits around all day and plays video games. He doesn't have an identity. And I said, so what's your, <laughs> what's your identity? And he said, I don't know. Where does a person get an identity, he asks. And I said, I don't know. What do you think? And he said, well, I, maybe from God. And I said, yeah, that's a possibility. Could be. I don't know. Does God talk to people? Does God talk to you? Does he talk to you and say, this is the identity I gave you? Is that what he does? Because if he does that, that would be pretty amazing. Because if God talked to us and told us what our identity is, we would know what to do in our life. We wouldn't have to keep going back to him and say, what do we do? We would know what to do because we know our identity. Hmm. So he said, maybe it's from God. I said, well, does God give identity? And he's thinking. And he says, and I was waiting for this, what's your identity? He says to me, what's your identity? Which is good in a conversation like this to have an identity, you know? <laughs> Christians are good at talking about stuff that they don't experience. We're experts at this, called lying. And, um, and, so, <laughs> uh, and so I said, well, my identity is militant peacemaker. That's what, that's what the Lord calls me. And he said, wow. And I said, and I said so I know what vocation to have with that identity, so my vocation has been, and I knew this ever since I was 14, police department, something involved in militant peacemaking, right? That just makes sense. So I'd pick a vocation in the range of the identity of militant peacemaker. And when I pick a vocation in that identity, I'm really, really good at it. Like, it's just so easy to think this way. I'm really, really good at it, and if I pick a vocation outside of that identity, I'm going to be unhappy and frustrated, and I'm not going to be good at it, and I'm going to know every day I'm not good at it, and it's just going to be bad. And I can go to church, and I can pray, but it's not going to make it better because I was not made to do whatever it is I'm doing. So I told him, I was, so I was a police officer, and then I got promoted a lot, and then I got recruited by the government, and then I went overseas, and my militant peacemaking started here and kept going like this. Professionally, spiritually, like up, up, up. 
And you know what? The gates of hell cannot stand against it. The gates of hell cannot stand against it. But if I take one step outside of that identity, I'm done, I'm finished, it's over. So if that's true, I say to my friend in the Uber, if that's true, how dangerous, dangerous is it to live a life with no sense of your identity? How dangerous? And he says, you mean I would have an identity that runs a restaurant? Yes, yes, that's it. And the restaurant would just be an extension of my identity? Yes, that's right. He said, I need to find my identity. He said, maybe I need to go to God and find my identity. Listen, in the whole conversation, I never said one thing about God. Did you hear that? Not one thing about being a Christian. And when the guy drops me off, he has my card, we're gonna meet, so he can hear God tell him his identity, and I never said any, suggested that be the way. That's called sharing your faith. That's, what, that's how simple it is, but you cannot give away what you don't have. You cannot give to another person something that you yourself do not possess. So what's gonna be so amazing today is when we walk out of here, it's not gonna be enough time. That sounds funny. Like we just did this thing in, um, in November is that when we did it? Yeah, in November, just, just this past November, we did this thing where we, ha we did a thing like this, <laughs> if you can imagine this, in the Middle East with all Muslims, all Muslims. High identity, high practice, we call, say Muslims. Not Muslims that are mad at Islam or want to change. They love Islam. They love being Muslim. We did a men's thing, a three-day men's thing on this very same topic that we're going to do together today a little different way we did it. And in that room, our speaker, the main speaker, was a Muslim, PhD in Sharia law, leader of a mosque of 500 families, who this is the first thing he said when he stood up. He goes, he says my name, and he says his name, and he, say, he tells where he's from in the Middle East, and most of the men in the room know who he is by his reputation as an expert in Sharia law, and he's a very outspoken Muslim leader. And he says, he gives his credentials, which is what you do in an Islamic context. You always give your credentials so people know who they're listening to. And he's, at the end of it, he goes, and my highest qualification to speak to you these three days is I am a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And man, I don't know if you've ever seen Muslims in a room when they're upset. They're not, they're not internal processors. Like it's... <laughs> It's all external. I mean, people just started screaming. We've been, we've been thinking about doing this, this thing for 10 years. We've been thinking, how can we pull this thing off? How can we pull this thing off? It's part of the process I'm going to walk you through today. You have an idea. How do you get that idea to live? Here's the way, here's the, way the Bible talks about it. How do I get this word, this idea in my mind to become flesh? How do I get this idea to become flesh? That's what Jesus is. Jesus is the word of God, the idea of God of rescuing humanity, becoming flesh. It's an idea that comes alive and walks. Every one of you has ideas in this room that need to become flesh and live outside of you. Amazing ideas. Things you dreamed about, things you don't even know you know yet. 
but you're going to start to know him today. And so these men, watch how I circle back to my point on this. These men, these men stand up and scream, no, how can you say that in front of us? Like this. And so the guy, three days of this, and I was the moderator. Talk about being a moderator on the Titanic. It's like, it was like, and so they would be, and then this is what he says, his first session after, he's, after they calmed down after that statement. He says, this is, this is what we're going to learn. As we learn our identities in the way into the kingdom, Melakut Allah, they say in Arabic, as we learn our way into the kingdom, we're going to discover that the only way into the Melakut Allah is through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you did, oh, no! <laughs> and we had no Christians in the room. No Christians in the room. None. All Muslims. And the, the, the six guys that I handpicked to come do this with me that were willing to die for their faith. They were all back by the exit sign. All of us, we're just back by the exit going, boy, we're praying for you outside. And, 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 then, he, and then he started. And so like, I mean, they would be, it, this was gonna be three days long. And, um, and so like three hours in, they're just screaming and yelling and he's yelling back at them. And I'm like, okay, let's take a break. Let's. Let's take a break. And one of the guys, his name's Saeed. He said, Saeed is Saeed, and, and his boss was there. His boss is in charge of 40,000 students in the Middle East. This, his, this boss, when he came to Christ, gave us access to 40,000 Muslim young people because of this weekend that we spent with these guys. But Saeed yells at me and goes, we don't want a break. We're not Americans. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, do you think Americans just come in and go, when's the break? And I thought, yeah, that is what we do. That's exactly what we do. It's pretty perceptive. And then, and then, and then at lunchtime, I'm like, lunch. And they're like, this is our food. This is our food. That's what they were yelling at me because they wanted to understand what this guy was saying because he's one of their people. Do you understand that? He's one of them. And he's telling them that the only way to really live this life and the life to come is through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And at the end of the time, and this was three days, this is just, we're just gonna try this in one sort of part of a day. So I'm hoping you go out of here really hungry. But so at the, at the end of three days, well at the end of each session, this is what this guy would do. He would, he would say, he would introduce a point, like the Bible is not corrupt. <sighs> Everyone's screaming, and at the end of the whole time, he would go, after they've all calmed down, and he's worked his way through the topic, he would go around the room, there were 30 lead men in this room, and he would go, I've never seen this before. We're not gonna try this, by the way, so don't worry. He would look at the, they were sitting around him in a circle like this, I'll show you pictures of it later, and he would go, like, do you now agree that this is true? One by one. Do you now agree that the Bible is not corrupt? Do you now agree? And they would go, Akid, yes, I agree. Boom, boom, all the way around the room. Right directly in front of him is the head of Islamic studies of a whole country. Right in front of him. And every time he would get to this guy, the room would go quiet. Do you agree? Because we're not going forward until every one of you agree. And if you don't all agree, we're doing it again. (laughs) So they disagreed because they just wanted it. We only had three days. (laughs) 
No, these guys, believe me, they don't say anything to make you feel good. Trust me. I know I've tried speaking in front of them. And do you agree? Yes, I agree. Around the room. The final session is we must, we must as Muslims, this is just to encourage you about the world that we all think is so terribly wrong, but we must as Muslims accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's the only way into the kingdom. It's the only thing we have. It's the only hope we have for the future. He goes through that. And then at the end he goes, do you agree that you must accept Jesus? Do you agree? This guy right here was a journalist from a Middle Eastern magazine. You should have seen his article. It was unbelievable how he wrote about these three days. We were nervous to have him in the room, but we thought, God's not afraid, is he? It's beautiful. Anyway, around the room, all the way to this guy in the center. Do you agree that you must accept Jesus as his death and resurrection, as the way into the kingdom, as a Muslim, and it's the only hope for the Muslim people of the world? Do you agree? And it's silent. And he's, he he's, looks at the speaker and he said, I've wanted to believe this my whole life. I just didn't know we were allowed to. Yes, I agree. All the men jump up. Yay! They come to me, Janie, when is the next one of these? <laughs> so they want three a year now. The next one is April in April. And um, they're bringing the faculty of six Islamic schools with them because um, that's where all f- the fundamentalism it grows out of the schools. They want to bring the faculty of the schools. And I've already gotten emails from Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Tunisia from Muslims who have been told about this that want to come. Yeah, yeah. So if that can happen there, what about here? Come on. What it, there, there's things inside your brains, your minds, your spirit, your heart, that no one has ever thought of before. We, like, we don't believe this stuff. And, and the beauty, the beauty is that that wants to come out of you. The sad part is, it's not gonna happen. But the good part is, it can happen. And it can happen today. It can start today. The sad part of that is, you can say no to it today too. You have that freedom. The good part of that is, I hope you won't. I hope it's so compelling to you that you wouldn't dare say no to what's right here in you. Listen, the world needs what you have. And I'm not talking about Christianity. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about whatever it is you know that we don't know yet. It could have to do with, we don't know. We're gonna dig into that. We're gonna figure that out today. And you're gonna get a taste of it. And when you do, Uh, you're going to want to be in a group of men where you're doing this every week together. The group that I'm in in Portland, my small group, um, and it's just, it's not a hand-picked group, it's just a random group from the church we go to. We just moved to Portland. This is the group I was assigned to. That group has four couples, four couples, various ages, and three single girls in it. That That group, in four months, has started four new companies, that group, from ideas that came out of that weekly meeting. Like, one, one, two of the girls in the group, both work, uh, worked for Nike, have started what's called the Refugee Care Collective. 
They left their jobs and started the Refugee Care Collective, and it's one of the best refugee programs in the United States of America. I took one of the girls with me to Detroit, um, which has one of the largest refugee centers. She spoke, and President, it was President Obama's people at the time she spoke, were staring at her going, where have you been? Where, she's 28 years old. Where have you been? How do you have this expertise in refugee care? Where do, how do you know this stuff? We want you to speak to our main forum in Houston. And off she goes. I was with her the other day. She's been interviewed by a national newspaper on the immigration situation that's going on. 28 years old. You know that, when that idea came to her? When she was 10 years old. 10 years old. You know when she decided to do it? When she was 27 years old. You know how long it took her to do it? 24 hours. That's how long it's been in there, waiting to come out. She couldn't access it apart from God. It was there. She couldn't bring it out apart from him. Four, the CrossFit guy I met with yesterday morning, he's in that group. Brilliant idea. Brilliant what he wants to do. He's sharing his idea like, how did you come up with that? Well, I've kind of known it. How long? 10 years! It's been buried down here in fear, guilt, and shame. So it's never going to come out. Doesn't know his identity, doesn't know how to pull this out. Well, this is what the Bible's all about, is this actually. So there's Bibles at the table, so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk through. I kind of have um, roughly, okay, I'm, yeah, wow, this is going to go fast. Um, Roughly, there's kind of four sections in my mind, uh, totally open to the Spirit, to what, however the Holy Spirit wants to do this, but I'll just kind of tell them to you um, so that you know when we don't do these that that was my original idea. Uh, so the, this, is the way I, this is the way I function in my walk with the Lord. So I know that this event is happening. Um, uh, so I spend a lot of time with the Lord, like when I'm in Salt Lake City, with this, because you people are unique individuals, and so there's any kind of canned talk is a waste of your time. So I refuse to do canned presentations to people because if, if I was you and I paid money to come here at canned presentation, I would leave. Um, so I'm asking the Lord, what do you want to do with this group? There, there's people in this group that you want to talk to. So... I get here, we, we were together last night, the volunteer guys, appreciate your work, and praying together, and then go back to the hotel. This is just my pattern. So I, have, I need to get my mind lined up with the spirit. So to do that, um, I have to go, I, so I go work out, I work out for one hour. Okay, this, this is an example to think of. In the Bible, there's three levels. This is the book of Hebrews, believe it or not. I hope you'll think of the Bible in a whole different way. In the book of Hebrews, there's, there's, it talks about rest, different kinds of rest. There's spiritual rest and, and um, a geographic rest and domestic rest. But there, it's the, Hebrews is about being fit, being fit. And so my CrossFit buddy, he talks about it like this. He was saying this to me the other day. He said, there's sick on the scale. If you know CrossFit, you might know this. There's sick and then there's well, and then there's fit, okay? So well people, when they feel bad, they get sick. Fit people, when they feel bad, they get well. We wanna be fit. 
We don't want to be well. We want to be fit. Your mind, body, and spirit are all one thing. Just like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one in relation. In, your mind, body, and spirit are in relation. They work in relation. If one part is unfit, they all struggle. This is the fact. So, work out for an hour. In the, in the time that I'm working out, I'm just asking the Lord to let me focus on him. Just be focused on what he has to me, to say to me about this. Back to the room, I don't know, like 9.30, 9.30 to 11, just read, 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 read. Whatever comes to my mind, I just read it. Like, why am I reading this, Lord? What is this? And I'm taking notes to myself. What does this have to do with them? But I know what he's going to do. He's going to put it all together. But it's, it's weird, the reading is like. But I love how he does this. You're going to learn this process of how God talks to you. You're going to learn it, and you're going to love doing it. And it's going to be a mystery to you how he does it. But the mystery is always going to be knowable. That's why we like mysteries, because there's a solution to mysteries. And so I'm reading all this different stuff together. And then that's it. I'm done. Set my alarm, close my eyes, and I fall asleep. At 1.50, I wake up. And it's like, ah, I know. I get it. Some of my friends that have worked with us, they'll take a, when they're, they're, they're especially guys that are engineers, they'll take a pen like this at work, and they'll, they'll be wrestling with the problem, and they'll hold the pen in their hand, and they'll get themselves to relax, but they want to get to a place where they're very relaxed but not quite asleep. And so they hold a pen so that if they fall asleep, they drop the pen, it wakes them up. They're trying to get in a place right between sleep and awake where their rational mind is expanded outward. So they can stop thinking of, here's all the reasons why this can't happen. That's how we think. We have a dream and then we wake up, ah, here's all the reasons why that can't happen. So they're trying to get to this place where the it can't happen is gone and they're in this dream world and, they, and they're rehearsing the problem that they're working through and they hold a pen. This state... This state is called prayer. That's what it is. That's what the Bible's talking about. It's not magic. Your brain was built to transcend itself. That's what it does. That's what it longs to do. The enemy's goal is that your brain stays this narrow all the time. Can't see anything. All I can tell you is why things won't work. We don't need people that can. We have lots of people that do that. I have an enemy that tells me that every day. Here's why that's not going to work. What I need is a God who tells me how things do work. And I need to be able to hear him louder than the one that tells me how it doesn't work. Right? So that's what prayer is. Prayer is this place out like this. You know, wake up at 150, it just clicks in my mind. Ah, that's how those things go together. And from 150, I don't know, till three, it's just racing through my mind, like a, the process. Talk like this, go like this with them. Go, go through it like this with them. And this is just for you. When this is done, when we're done our time together, in my mind, this will be gone. It's really cool. And I, will, I don't write all of this down because I don't want to ever do this again this way. That's called generative language theory. It's how Jesus talks to you all the time. He never comes to you in a formula. Never will. You know why? He respects and loves you too much to talk to you in a formula. But he's weird how he talks. 
He's mysterious. So one other thing, sort of preliminarily here. I want you to think, remember this today. In our lives, there's three great mysteries to explore. Every day, three great mysteries to explore. If you're ever bored, it's just because you're, you're not thinking. Whenever my, I have three sons and one adopted, and whenever they said we're bored, I'm like, get the broom. There's a broom. It's for bored people, and there's lots of stuff to sweep. And you'll find that while you're sweeping, there's a million things to think about. Get a broom. Because when you start sweeping, your mind relaxes and your, your, the intuitive parts of your mind, the dream parts, the imagined parts of your mind start just running wild. Get a broom. Don't sit there doing this. That doesn't cause your mind to transcend. It dulls your mind. It makes you less fit. Um, so three mysteries. Mystery number one, mystery of the universe or God. Every day we can explore the mystery of the universe. All humans do this. The greater ones figure out planetary motion, gravitational force, they discover other planets. The ones that have committed their lives to understanding this mystery, that have said, we're gonna figure it out even if we die, try and figure it out. And once they figure it out, they figure out, ah, there's more to know. The mystery of the universe, the mystery of God. Try and just understand God each day. God, just teach me something about yourself, I don't know. You'll be doing that on into eternity and he will show you stuff about himself you don't know. That's the one mystery. Mystery number two, the mystery of I, the mystery of yourself. You don't know yourself, let me, trust me. You do not know yourself. If you knew yourself, you would be doing amazing things. The way you think of yourself is way too small. The way we think of the universe, way too small. The way we think of ourselves, way too small. The mystery of the I. God, teach me something about myself that I didn't know. Eternal, eternal journey. Here's how David says it. God, search me and know me and reveal to me any wicked way or offensive way in me and then lead me in the new way. Lead me in the way everlasting every day. Any part of me that hinders me from living like this, what is it? We're gonna do that together. Because once this is gone, you are free, my friends, to go. Mystery of the universe, mystery of the I, and mystery of the other. The mystery of the other person in your world. Kids, spouse, neighbors. Try and figure that mystery out. I'm still working on the mystery of my wife. 34 years, I've known her since she was 19. I'm talking to her last night, she's a mystery to me. She says things, I'm like, how do you do that? How do you think of those things? That mystery, the mystery, of, the mystery of Muslims, the mystery of the mystery of my neighbors. Here's the problem, we don't care about the other. We don't care about the universe, we don't care about the other, which means we don't care about ourselves. But if you, Lord, teach me something about the other person on my street, or like what I just told you about Muslims in the Middle East, did you know that about them? Did you know that there's 72 movements of Muslims coming to Christ in the thousands, 72 different movements across the Islamic world of more than 3,000, three generations deep, 72 movements happening right now? Did you know that? Do you know where one of them is? Inside of ISIS. It's a recent. There's guys, there's people from these kinds of gatherings that now live inside of ISIS and it's unbelievable what they're doing. 
Their biggest problem now is as the ISIS guys come to faith, they release all the girls they've kidnapped. Now they've got to do something with all these released captives. So now they have a whole, another whole ministry. It's just this mystery. So, so Jesus says this. There's, so there's two kind of great things to think about. Number one, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. This mystery. Figure that one out. Try and love God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength, your whole body, every part of you. Just try and love God with your mind. If you try and love him with your mind, your mind goes like this. If you try and love him with your spirit, oh my gosh. If you try and love him with your body, you look different. You do. That's that's the number one thing, Jesus. And then here's the other one. Here's the other mystery, because that's the I and the universe. Then love your neighbor like you love yourself. Those, those mysteries right there, everything else comes out of those mysteries right there. Figure those out. See that? We're already out of time. Wow. First session, done. It's fast, isn't it? Here, so let's do this. So we have, so we're going to move to our tables, I think, when we do this. Am I, am I on time? Am I right? Who's on? Who's Am I? Ten minutes. Oh, it's right there. I thought that was the debt, national debt. (laughs) Wow, we only owe $9. Wow. It's not bad. That's probably how much we have, I think. Um, Thank you. Oh, that's encouraging. Okay, so here's the the four four kind of things I was going to say. Four areas where I want you to think about. Um, Not that page. This page. That we're going to work, so we're going to do four sessions. Session number one, which is this session, um, is paying attention to God. To pay, we're going to pay attention to God. Okay, that's this session. We're going to do this at our tables. The way, the way for things to be unlocked in you and in your spirit and all of that is for you to pay attention, to pay attention to God. I, I'm telling you, we are not paying attention to things in this world. We are so distracted. Pay attention to what's happening. When I was in college, I had this professor. His name was Nick Pappas, is Nick Pappas. He's, quite, he's a famous guy. He's, he was made famous in a book about Vietnam. He was a, a platoon com, a leader in Vietnam. He, played foot, he was an All-American for University of West Virginia, got drafted by the Steelers, turned down the, turned down the position with the Steelers to enlist to go to Vietnam because he grew up sitting in a barber shop listening to his uncles and father and grandfather talk about the great wars and to be a patriot. And so he turns down the NFL to go be a patriot in Vietnam. He's this big dude, big. And so he goes to Vietnam, and in Vietnam, he, he's running through somewhere, rice paper something, steps on a landmine, blows him up, right side of his body. And so he, he's, he walks with a limp, and, he, and this ear, half his ear is gone. And so he's this real big guy, walks with a limp, he has a, still has a high and tight, and he's a PhD in political philosophy. And he's one of the best professors I've ever had in my life. But he is crazy. And so he, and he walks around the room like this, and he could get his ear fixed, but he, th- he likes the way it looks. And, and, so, and he can't hear out of that ear, so if you're asking him a question, he has to turn like this and go, what? Like that, and he paces back and forth, and, he, and when he comes into the class, so this is in the, in the late 70s when I was an undergrad, and so there were no military allowed on campuses in those days. 
and so, so he just flaunted that he was a former Marine in Vietnam, <laughs> just to get the liberal professors upset. I don't know, like he liked it, whatever. And, um, and, and he loved getting students all riled up about stuff. And, and people so disliked him that his classes were always, yeah, he had to get on a waiting list to get in his classes because he was an amazing, he was a genius. But he knew how to work a group and so he would come into the room and he would, first of all, he would come to the class and he would stand outside the door listening to the people talking in the classroom for a while. And then he'd come into the room and he'd take this big wad of chewing tobacco and put it in his mouth while he's looking at the students. And he had a trash can at each end of the front of the room. And he would pace back and forth and he would spit in the trash. And he would look at the reaction. When it was a desirable disgust, he would walk this way. And he would lecture on political philosophy. And so one day, he, he's lecturing on Thomas Hobbes' amazing work called The Leviathan, which is 700 pages of, a so, of a, one of the most brilliant social contracts ever written by a political philosopher, in, uh, written in the 1600s. And so he's lecturing on it, 700-page work. And this, this girl says to him, makes, quotes something out of the Leviathan, I forget it was, in, to counter what he's saying. And he, now, he had an imaginary dog that he talked to a lot, this guy. And his dog's name was Ranger. And so we later learned that Ranger was a little part of Dr. Pappas. And it was, it was how he talked to himself. It was really brilliant how he did. He's really, a, when you go meet with him alone, he's like, you just never want to leave him. But, so whenever he was upset and he wanted to do something, he would talk to himself like it was his dog. And, and so he would go, he, she goes, yeah, but I disagree with what you're saying because, it, because in, in, in the Leviathan, and she quotes a page, and he stops and he goes, Ranger, sit! Stay! Like that. <laughs> and he goes to the girl, he says, how many times have you read the Leviathan? And she says, I have read it one and a half times. He goes, he goes, you've read the Leviathan one and a half times. She was proud of this, 700 pages. She's halfway through the second time. You've read the Leviathan one and a half times. Ranger, stay. One and a half times? She says, yes. He goes, how dare you? How dare you quote a text without reading it at least 10 times? I have read the Leviathan 25 times. Ranger, he sit. I have read the Leviathan 25 times, and I'm hesitant to quote it with such aplomb as you do with one and a half times. When you've read it five times, talk to me about the Leviathan. Ranger, come. And then he starts pacing back and forth across the room like this. <laughs> then he goes, Ranger, heal. Let me tell you, if you want to read something that's profound, this is right in the middle of this lecture. He goes, how many of you have read John 3.16? Just John 3.16. And a few people raise their hand. He goes, if anyone in this room can explain to me the wonder of John 3.16, just John 3.16, if you get what John 3.16 means, please come explain it to me because I am in wonder of that more than the Leviathan, more than any work I've ever read. Read John 3.16, and I'll talk to anyone about that. Ranger, come. And he left the room. 
That guy led so many students to Christ by doing that kind of thing. Now, how many of you would say you're that amazed at John 3.16? For God so loved the whole world, every one of you, every one of you. He loved you so much. That means his motivation for everything that he's going to do in and through your life today, the motivation is always only one thing. Love. God is not mad at you. God doesn't want you to feel bad. He doesn't want you to feel ashamed. He doesn't want you to be afraid. He wants you to be with him, with him, Emmanuel, God with us. And he loved you so much that he decided to make that happen. So he had an idea, and he made that idea flesh. For God so loved the world that he gave. Nobody took it from him. Nobody earned it from him. He gave He gave his only begotten son that whoever, 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 Muslim, Buddhist, atheist, whoever believes, here's the complicated process of receiving what God has done. Believe, that's it, there it is, believe, believe. The the only danger of leaving today is that you don't believe it. Believing is receiving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not die. You shall not die, but you will have life eternal starting now, onward, starting now, not when you're dead. Does that make any sense? And after you're dead, you will have eternal life. No. Eternal life begins right now. How? How does that happen? That's what, we're, that's what we want to talk about. And I'll go to 3.17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Where do we get this idea? But that the world, you, through him might be rescued. From what? From fear, guilt, and shame. When? Right now, today, now. Why? In order that you can live out everything he made you to be starting today in community, starting today. How do we do that? Pay attention. Pay attention to what is happening. Pay, look in the mirror and, and tell the truth about what is happening around you and to you. Tell the truth. That's number one. We're going to pay attention. We're going to do this in the groups. Pay attention. Two, be aware of what's going on around you. If you pay attention to God, you will become aware of what's actually happening around you. Trust me, you don't know. I have a friend, I have a friend, I I call him a friend just because I wanna be his friend. I've met him two times. He's lived among the Taliban by himself for 26 years. An American guy. You ever hear him? You ever see his books? You ever see his seminars? Nope. Because he does, that's not what he wants. He wants the Taliban to come to faith. He, this American guy, it's like Lawrence of Arabia. He leads a group of Taliban followers of Jesus that is 20,000 baptized men. You ever heard of that? You ever hear that on the news? Nope. That's the, you, you're not, we're not aware of what's happening in this world. We're just scared. We're just scared. We make all our decisions based in fear. Do I have enough money? Am I, 
it's, it's like this, it's like this, and like, wait a second, there's one guy out there doing that? When I went to meet this guy, finally, I've heard about him forever. When I went to meet him, I looked at him, I'm like, you're the guy? Like he's this humble, quiet, and he's like, yeah, I live among the Taliban. What do you do? Uh, just talk to him. Like, really? Do you do seminars? No. I was like, good. <laughs> he said, no, I don't. <laughs> pay attention to God. Be aware. Be aware. If you pay attention to God, it means you tell him the truth. If you're aware, then you know what's happening around you. If you're aware of him, he makes annunciations to you. He will communicate to you individually. If you're paying attention and you're aware of what's going on, you will hear him speak. Attention, awareness, annunciations. And when he starts to talk to you, you will know how to act. You'll know what to do. You, uniquely in your life. And you will start doing things gradually, don't be afraid, and you will look back in a month and in a year and go, what, this is amazing. This is amazing. Attention, awareness, annunciations, action. That's what we're, gonna, that's what we're doing. So number one, at our tables right now, what we're gonna do, we're gonna pay attention to God. So this is how we're gonna do it. We're gonna pray together, don't be afraid. Don't be nervous about this. We're just going to pray, and I'm actually going to lead it. And we're going to ask God to make us attentive to him. That's what we're going to do together, okay? So, okay, so, um, so I guess just introduce yourselves around the table, all that kind of thing, but I, I want to I keep going. So by the end of today, what we're going to do, we're going to come out of today with... Um, some, some kind of action. I don't know what your action will be, but you'll know by the end of the day. Um, and we're just going to dream as big as we can in this. So it could be anything. Um, so what we're going to do, we're going to practice this little thing called telling the truth. Uh, I know. What is, let, me, let me explain what that is. The truth is... <laughs> This is called confession, okay? Confession, again, don't be nervous by these church words. This, the, the word confession just means to say, just to tell the truth. So my number two son, it's, so I have three sons. One's a corporate attorney, one's an FBI agent, and one's a, a something in New York City. I'm not sure what he does, but he's in a lot of protest marches lately. And so they're interesting when they're together because the younger son, in New York, he works for a social media company, calls my number two son a henchman of the oligarchy. I don't know what that means, but. Um, so they have the, and, uh, and then the oldest one's suing both of them for something, I don't know what, but. Um, truth, so my FBI son, so like if, he, if they arrest somebody or they're bringing somebody in and they ask for a confession, they're not asking for an apology. Right, we teach confession like it's, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But if, but if a, you know, if the FBI hands you a paper and says, just write what happened that night, and you go, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, love, Bill. Like, it doesn't help anybody at all. And so that's how we grew up. We grew up thinking confession is just telling everyone you're sorry about stuff. It, that doesn't mean, do anything for anyone. So confession is telling the truth. It's just truth-telling. Confession to God is telling God the truth about what you believe about him and yourself. That's confession. It's the greatest act. God loves confession. If I say to God, I think you let me down every day, and 
I, I'm afraid to take a new job because I'm afraid you won't show up. He always will work with that, always. He will always respond to truth. You shall know the truth, Jesus says, and experience truth, and truth will always set you free. Truth always sets you free. Hiding the truth always makes you a slave. If you will not tell the truth, you are in bondage, period. I don't care who you, uh, who you are. So truth, that's confession. Repentance, we're gonna practice too. Repentance is God telling you the truth about who he really is, who you really are, and you walking in this new and an amazing way. Do you got that? Confession and repentance, confession and repentance. We practice confession and repentance all the time. Every time I feel intimidated by a situation, I say, God, let me tell you how I feel right now. It's, you know, he does already know, just a heads up. You're not faking him out. So I just say, Lord, I really feel intimidated. I feel fearful right now. I feel like this guy, I feel powerless with this person. That's how I feel. That's confession. God's like, beautiful, let's work with that. Okay, repentance. Okay, this guy has no authority over you. He never has. He never will. I brought you in this situation because this is what I want to accomplish with you. This guy needs you. He's hurt. He needs you. Oh, boom, go the new way. That's confession and repentance. When you live in confession and repentance, your life goes like this. Professionally, spiritually, maritally, in every way. It goes up like that. Okay, so the way we're going to get to know each other at our tables is, um, and if you have something to write on, that'd be really good, really good, on your phone, on paper, on the table, but write stuff down. Um, we want stuff to come out and be out like this. Don't do everything in secret. The fingerprint of Satan is secrecy and shame. So if you can write stuff down, it's really good because you are going to be saying stuff out loud. Oh my gosh, I knew I shouldn't have come to this. No, it'll be fine, I promise you. This is just like we're getting spiritually fit, okay? So here's what I'm going to do. And this is going to lead right into our second session about awareness. We're going to do this together. Okay, now I, I want everyone at the table, in your table, this is the way we're going to get to know each other, not by a bunch of um, superficial, formulaic introductions. We're going to get to know each other by confessing together. It's like the greatest way to... That's why I love working with the people I do out on the field is because we, if, you know, if you're in the military or the police or whatever and you work in squads, when, you, when the heat's on, everyone tells the truth. I'm afraid. And even if you don't say it, we all know. So this is what draws people together. This is what makes men never forget each other because we've been with each other when we were afraid. We've been each other, with each other when we won. This is what makes communities function well. Not all this fake transparency, nonsense, not that stuff, just real stuff. So um, we're gonna confess together. This is the way you're gonna get to know each other, so I want everyone, when we do this little exercise, and you have a table leader that will always lead off and go first. So table leaders will confess first, um, and then we'll just, you just decide which way you wanna go. Everyone talk, everyone say something, and then when, when we do this little practice, then I'm just gonna ask different tables to tell me what happened, okay? Any questions about that? Are you nervous? Good. A truth teller. Thank you very much. See, we're already started. Okay. Um, so we're going to do this. I'm going to do this thing called clearing the room. This is what we do. I learned this when I was a cop. I learned that if I go into a, a very tense situation and I silence the demonic, the whole thing calms down. 
It got to be pretty fun when I was training rookies, because I'd be like, watch this, watch, watch this. And I was just praying the whole room would go silent. And they're like, where, where did you learn that? That's not in the academy. No, that's in another different academy where we learn this. I'm going to silence the room because in this room, when you came in here, you brought all kinds of stuff with you. You can't help it. We're human. You bring anxiety. You bring fear. You bring guilt. You bring shame. All this stuff with us. We bring it in, and the enemy's attached to it. The enemy has no, actually no authority over anyone in this room, especially in this room, but you think he does, so he can. That's sort of his game. He asks you to give him permission to run your life. You say yes, and he runs your life. Adam and Eve, first ones that did that. And so we're going to silence the room. I'm going to silence the room. When I silence the room, your mind is going to start to open. Sounds kind of new agey, but it's, it's more Bible-y than new agey. We had it first. Uh, so your mind is going to start to kind of unlock when we do this. As it does, that's good. I want, this is when I start writing stuff down personally. Things just start coming into my mind. I just start writing them down. But when, when I'm going to silence the room, and then I'm going to ask God a question on your behalf. I'm going to ask him a question. And what I want you to do is I want you to write down the very first thing that comes to your mind. Okay? We're just going to practice this together. All right? Any questions about that? Okay, good. All right, here we go. Father, thank you for these men. We come before you, Lord God, the high king of heaven in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you that in this room, every single person in this room was knit together in their mother's womb by you. I don't care what they believe. It doesn't matter what any of us believe. The reality is you knit us together in our mother's womb. And when you knit us together in our mother's womb, you gave us an identity. You built an identity into our DNA. And your goal for us, your joy for us, is that we understand that identity and live it out. And that in living it out, we become, with you, living out our identity, we become immortal and eternally joyful. That's what happens. This is the goal. This has been the plan from the beginning. But we don't know that. We've lost track of this. So, Lord, we come to you as brothers in this community, as brothers, and this is what I confess in front of all these guys and on their behalf. I confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, that he's the incarnate one come in the flesh. As much as we understand what that means, this is what I believe. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He walked the earth. And when he walked the earth, he came to do two things. He came to destroy the works of the enemy and to make people well. This is why Jesus came, to destroy the works of the enemy and to make people well. And Lord, he walked around and he taught that and he trained in it and he taught us how to know you in a different way, in a deeper way, to know ourselves and others. And then he was accused and he was betrayed and he was murdered by the will of God. And when he died, he descended into the depths of death itself, into the place of the enemy, and he swallowed up death in his life. And he rose from the dead not just because he had the power of God, but because death stopped existing. Death ended, and he could just walk out. It was gone. He destroyed death and he destroyed the power of the enemy. And he came up out, in the, out of the tomb because the tomb, there was nothing there any longer to be at. He came out, he was alive. 
And he walked around for 40 days, and in the 40 days, he taught his people about the most important thing, what it means to live in the kingdom of God starting now on into eternity. That's what he taught. And when he finished teaching that, he ascended where he sits, where Christ sits at the right hand of the throne of God in glory, and there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, but at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Every demon, every angel, every creature, whether there are more or not in the universe, we don't know, but every knee will bow. There's no competition, there's no contest, there's nothing to be afraid of. Christ wins, everyone else bows, every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, amen, and forever. And we believe that Jesus is a high priest who is tempted in every way, just like every person in this room. There's nothing I can say to Jesus that he doesn't know experientially in my own shoes. He's been deserted, betrayed, rebuked, everything bad happened to him. And yet he did it without losing his identity, without falling short of the glory that God had for him, and he is the name above all names. And because of him, God, we can come right into your presence right now, right into the presence of the living God right now because of Christ, our Savior. And that we can, that God, you, you say to us, come boldly to the throne of grace in time of need. Come right now, especially if we're in need. Especially if there's stuff in my life I'm afraid of, I'm ashamed of, and I feel guilty about. Come now. This is your, God, this is what you long for us. Not by works, but by grace, through faith. It's a gift. It's a gift. No one in this room is any better than anyone else. So here we are, Lord, in your presence. And we ask God in your presence that you would silence the enemy around us. God, would you just silence the enemy around us in my mind, in my life. I'm so used to listening to the enemy all the time and the world and my flesh. Silence them, we pray in the name of Jesus. Silence before the living God. And we say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebukes you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. You have lost, you are done, you are over. We bow our knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We don't bow to anyone else. The Lord rebuke you, Satan, in the name of Jesus, who you must obey. And Lord, would you fill each person in this room with the fullness of your spirit? God, would you sanctify our minds as we think about you now? You've given us the ability to dream, to imagine. Lord, would you sanctify our minds and our imagination right now as we think about you? What does it mean to stand in the throne room of God? We are seated above all creation with Christ, Colossians says. What does it mean to walk into your throne room right now? It's an actual occurrence that's happening right now. Here we stand in your midst, Lord, and nobody talks but you. Nobody speaks but you. So, Lord, fill us with the fullness of your spirit. Silence our own voice so that our mind is tied up with your mind, our spirit bound to your spirit. And Lord, would you just let us begin hearing from you in a deep new way, like we've never heard before, or maybe for the first time. And Lord, here's the first question that we wanna ask you this morning, just the very first thing, just the true Lord Jesus. God, what is the one what is the most important thing you want to say to me right now? 
What is the most important thing you want me to understand right now in the name of Jesus? And men, just write it down. Write it down right away. Go do it quick. Don't wait. Lord, what is the most important thing you want me to know right now? Don't analyze it. Don't question it. Just write it down. Lord, what is just the true Lord Jesus? What is the most important thing you want me to know right now? Don't try and figure it out if it's you or God. Just write down what is in your mind or in your heart. We'll, we'll walk through it. Lord, what's the most important thing you want me to know right now? Okay, when you've written that down, you may not understand it, that's okay. Lots of times Jesus talks, people didn't know what he meant. It's okay, we're gonna figure it out. Okay, when you've got that down, starting with the table leaders, I just want you guys to go around and share what you heard, okay? Just, just practice saying out loud what you hear in your mind or in your heart, go ahead. If you have any questions, you can ask me, but do, do it among your tables.
Okay. We're obviously not going to have enough time to get as far into this as we want, but um, so, so table leaders, you guys have questions. Just hold on to those for a second until we see how this goes. Okay, so um, let's, I'm just going to, I'm just going to point to a couple of tables. I want you to tell me, um, just any, anyone can tell me what they heard. Just, just give me an example of something you heard, anybody. Live on our Live out, live, out, live out our spiritual gift, okay? Remember, okay, so when God tells you something, when you hear something like, live out your spiritual gift, which is beautiful, uh, affirmation like that, why is he saying that? Think about this. Why is he saying to a person, live out, I, need, I want you to live out your spiritual gift? Why is he saying that? Just think logically, why? Because they, they aren't doing it right. People miss this. The Lord like called me beloved. Great. You know why he called you that? Nope. Because you don't think he loves you. That's why he says stuff to you. This is where people miss. You're not paying attention to what he's saying. So if he says, live out your spiritual gift, a good question would be, in what ways am I not? Like here comes the confession. The Lord loves you. He will usually begin talking to you like like in the Gospels, with an affirmation or a challenge. He'll do it, like this is what you're supposed to be doing, now let's talk about why that's not happening, which is what we're gonna do next. What, give me another example, what did you guys hear? Uh, we just had two common uh, themes, one was uh, um, love, and the other one was trust. Love and trust, yeah, yeah. good, love and trust. What, what about here, what'd you hear, anything? I'm good enough. Why that? What's that? Why, why I'm good enough? Because you don't think you're good enough, right. Who, what, did you, what did you guys say? Someone back here? Go ahead. You guys. Go ahead. I love you more than you'll ever know. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it, did anyone have God say, I wish you didn't come this morning? Anybody get that? Because if you did, you're demon-possessed, and I want to meet with you, because God doesn't talk like that. <laughs> no, this is important. One more. Go ahead. What did you guys hear? Anything? Uh, you got, uh, uh, share your faith. I have an identity for you. Share your faith. I have an identity for you. What about up there in the box seats, the high-paying? Okay, good, okay. You are love, listen to the right voice. All, all, these, all these affirmations, okay? So if, if I was by myself doing this or when we do this in our group, then each t- when everyone heard something, the next question would be at the table or in the group is, Lord, where in my life do I feel like I'm not beloved by you? Where in my life do I think I'm not good enough for you? Where in my life am I listening to the wrong voice? Do you see how he does that with affirmation, how he does that to us? That's what he's doing. Jesus is always saying this to you. Follow me, follow me, come with me, follow me, come with me. This is what he's always doing. And to do that, you'll be like, well, I got all this stuff I can't carry. He's like, I know, drop it. Like that's how he does it. It's always this beautiful affirmation like that. Okay. Um,
Any questions about that? That's pretty straightforward. We just like to start there so that you know that God does love you. He does love you uh, more than anything else. Okay, um, okay, let's do this now. I can't remember if this is one of the questions or not, but this is what we're gonna do. Okay, um, I'm gonna ask the Lord about an obstacle, okay? Sort of like how we're going, all right? Okay, let's, let's just do this together. Father, thank you for speaking to us. We thank you, Lord, for your words to us, your love for us. Um, and Lord, thank you for affirmation. We just thank you that your word is true, that God is love, that God is love, and that, and that you love us all with an uh, un, uh, unconditional love. Okay, so this is on the sheet, but I'm just gonna ask this one out loud. Father, Lord Jesus, would you just continue to speak to us, just guard our minds in your spirit, protect us from the enemy. Lord, would you just show to me or tell to me or reveal to me one place in my life where I'm not living in truth? Okay, just, Lord, what's one place in my life where I'm not living in truth? Just write that down. Don't be afraid. Just write it down. Lord, what is one? You say it, Lord. You tell me. Don't tell the Lord. You let him tell you because it might be different than what you think. Lord, what is one place in my life where I'm not living in truth? This is search me and know me, Lord. Search me and know me. Help me to understand myself, Lord, and show me one place in my life where I'm not walking in truth or living in truth. I want you to be as honest as you can on this. Just one place where I'm not living, operating in truth. Okay, this is where it takes a lot of the courage, is in this part. Okay, it should be pretty quick. All of, it, all of this is pretty quick. Okay, now make sure everyone at the table says this, responds to this, okay? You, okay, we're not looking for transparency. We don't do that stuff. We don't need a long explanation and, you know, just where's the place in my life, Lord, where I'm not living or dealing in truth? Okay, we're not in a counseling session. We're just in a truth-telling session. That's all we're gonna do. We're just gonna unburden ourselves with this stuff. Okay, go ahead. Table leaders, you start and go ahead and around the table and say it. Just, just, just say what you heard. You don't have to explain it unless you want to. Okay. Good. Okay, um, so in the Bible, if you remember the passage, there's a passage that talks that says, confess your sins one to another in order that you may be 
healed. Healed. You can't get well if you're not confessing one to another. Okay, so back, I want to get back to the truth about what confessing is. Confessing is not telling just all your garbage to somebody. That's a waste of time. Confession is telling the identity that you're operating out of. So what we just did, this exercise that we just did, is, is you saying whatever it is you said. I, I don't like to go around the room and everyone tell what they were confessing. But um, So you're confessing maybe, how many of you are confessing like certain actions? Raise your hand if what you talked about was an action or some kind of lifestyle. Okay. What, what else were you confessing? What kind of things? Sorry? Sorry? Declaring who God is. Okay, declaring who God is. Well, that's a good one. Any other bad ones? Yeah, thanks. Okay, more prayer life. Okay, and what else? Way up there, you guys, up there. What, tell me something that was, came up. Experiencing God in the workplace? Yeah, wow. Okay, see, okay, these are actions. Okay, now here's what I want you to think about. This is, this is why we can get stuck in these things and never get out of them. So experiencing, I'm going to yell back up here, experiencing God in the workplace, okay, you're saying that you don't do it enough or someone says that? Okay, now listen to this question. How does it make you feel that you're not experiencing God in the workplace like you're supposed to? How does that make you feel about yourself? Shameful. Okay, here's what God wants him to pay attention to. Not experiencing God in the workplace, shame. Shame. Shame is the obstacle. Shame is what needs to be confessed. You know why? Because shame is an identity. Everything that we're talking about, I look at pornography, I don't do this, I need to do this more. How does it make you feel? It makes me feel one of three things, fearful, guilty, or ashamed. Those are false identities. And if you live in fear, I don't care how many accountability groups you go to, I don't care how many podcasts you listen to, you are going to try and control everything around you and you're going to live in anxiety. Because you're afraid, your identity is fear. If my identity is unworthiness, I will act like an unworthy person, I don't care where I am and who's there. That's what I'll do. Oh, I'll set up all the chairs, I'll be the first one at church every week, why? Because you're overflowing with joy? No, because I'm trying to prove that I'm worthy. Stay home. Stay home. That's not God. God does not need unworthy people trying to make themselves worthy to him. He makes you worthy. He takes away shame. He gets rid of guilt. You don't. But the longer the enemy has you trying to do it, you are slaves. You cannot think outside of guilt, fear, and shame. See, so the practice of this confession is what are we confessing? God's saying, God says to me, Jamie, the thing that's hurting you is the way you talk to your wife. But it's not, so go to a seminar and learn how to talk to your wife. That's not it. How am I talking to my wife? You're talking to your wife like a man who is ashamed of his past. And a person ashamed of their past is defensive and, and th their feelings are hurt easily and they respond like this. Ugh. 
Do you understand that? In the garden, in the garden, when Adam and Eve fell, when they separated themselves from the truth of God into a place of where they were trying to decide what's good and bad, they went from life, from just life with God. That's just life with God. Here's life with God. Go out, figure out the whole mystery of yourself, the universe, and each other. Go, enjoy, have fun, it's all yours. Stay away from that one tree, it'll kill you. They go to the one tree, because out of fear, as, uh, what I think is that Eve became fearful that God was withholding something from her. She didn't doubt him. She feared. The fear produces doubt. That's what happens. But anyway, so she eats of it, and they exchange just life and all of its abundance for a whole life of, is that the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? Did I do the right thing or the wrong thing? Did I say the right thing or the wrong thing? Did I vote for the right person or the wrong person? It's the knowledge of good and evil, and it always leads to death, always. So we could get in these accountability groups all day long and go, did you look at pornography? Either we lie and say no and feel guilty, or we tell the truth and say yes and feel guilty. Thanks for coming. See you next week. <laughs> what is that? that is, that's Satan's accountability group. Here's, here's God's accountability group. Why, how do you have time to look at pornography if you're living out your true identity? You know why you're looking at pornography? Because you don't know who your real identity is, so you have time. You know what your identity is? Shame. You know what your identity is? Fear. You know what your identity is? Guilt. That's what, this, that's what God's moving towards in times of confession. Stop telling me you're sorry for doing this and sorry for doing that. Ask me what it is. You're doing it because you think you're not worthy. And then comes the next question, which we're going to do in the next session. Where did that sense of unworthiness come from? That's where the spirit is going to in you. And when that's gone, this other stuff will go away. I promise you. And when this stuff goes away, your mind will start focusing on your true identity and what it is you're supposed to be doing that fills you with joy. And you won't have time to do this other stupid stuff. You just don't have time for it. It's just not worth it. You don't have to go, oh, God, help me not to do it, like that. It's like you have a pile of trash down in your spirit, and these rats keep coming to it. And we, and we just keep trying to shoot the rats. Shoot the rat, shoot the rat, shoot the rat, and the rats keep coming. They never stop, and the things that I wish I could do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do, and the rats keep coming, and I keep shooting, and I keep going to seminars, and I keep listening to podcasts, and I keep memorizing verses, and the rats keep coming, and Jesus is saying, let me have the trash pile. I will take it, and the trash pile is fear, guilt, and shame. It's all it's ever been. It's all it ever will be. The three worldviews. The three worldviews in the Muslim world, shame and honor. In the animistic world, fear and power. In our world, guilt and innocence. Fear, guilt, shame is the bottom of each of those three cultures. The opposite side of shame is honor. The opposite side of fear is power. The opposite side of guilt is innocent. Guess what Jesus makes us? Honorable, innocent, powerful men. That's what he makes us. And when you're that, in your identity, nothing can stop you from what God has for you 
in your life. Let's take a break. We'll come back on how to get rid of that trash pile. <laughs> 